0: All right, so we're, uh, we're continuing uh, through the through the book of Matthew these days. Um, so if you want to follow along, we're reading out of Matthew uh, chapter 13. Uh, we're starting at verse 31, and we're reading to 33. Oh, that's very different. Um, and then we're skipping a bit because it kind of connects better with a different part, and then we're continuing. So this morning we're going to read through... Uh, five parables, basically. Uh, so this is Jesus Jesus talking to his disciples. He put another parable before them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls whose who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers and threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked his disciples, and they said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I wish I had the confidence of the disciples in that moment. Yes. Right? Um, I think after, like, I've had the opportunity to speak on these parables a few times now in my, in my life. And every time I dive into them, I find something new. I find something different. And I am more determined now that I cannot say I understand with a resounding yes. <laughs> um, but maybe one day I'll get to where the disciples were at. Or maybe I was there and I've moved on. And the disciples would be with me and be like, oh no, we don't. But either way, if you, were, if you listened to that this morning and it was confusing, know you're in good company. And if you're like, that, that made total sense, then good for you. That's awesome. Um, So we read through these. There's five parables. And parables are a beautiful gift that Jesus gave us. They aren't formulaic. They aren't A plus B equals C. They aren't aren't crystal clear, right? And I think that's what's beautiful about them and what what allows us to continually go back to them and unpack a bit more. Um, But what they do is they give us glimpses. They give us pieces of of the, what the kingdom of heaven looks like, right? And it starts off, the first parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is sown into a field. Now, and this is a fun place where you get pushback from people because Jesus says the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. And here's the, rea- it's not, all right? And if you Google it, uh, there will be people making an argument for the fact that, It is the smallest of seeds because they need need it to be in in their own faith journey. But I'll, I'll be straight up with you this morning. It is not the smallest of seeds. There are loads of seeds smaller than a mustard seed. But what Jesus, when he says smaller, that word that's translated small can have different interpretations. And mustard seeds were prolific. Mustard seeds are kind of undesirable because there's just so stinking many of them. Um, they're uh, they're cheap to buy because everybody has them. Okay, and so when Jesus says this word "small," he means that they're prolific. They're to the point of being undesirable. So they're. They're abundant to the point of we actually don't need any more of them anymore in our, in our life. Nobody is out there looking for a mustard seed, okay? And mustard, the reason is mustard grows kind of like a weed, all right? Now, I've never, I'm not a gardener, I've never planted mustard, but I have done a disturbing amount of reading about mustard plants this week, Okay? Because here's, here's a fun thing. Mustard plants actually only grow to six feet tall if they're good, and like a really big one, like a, if you're doing well, it'll go to 12, okay? And there have been reported up to like 20 feet height, okay? So, and the, the way they grow is more out. So you'll have one plant and it'll be quite spread out and they drop their seeds and they spread like crazy, okay? Other sudden fun fact: do you know Canada is the number one producer of mustard in the world? Fun facts of mustard, right? Um, so mustard tree. If you had seen a mustard bush, so it's funny because we often talk about the mustard tree, but if you actually saw a mustard tree, you'd be like, that ain't a tree. It's a, a shrub, a bush. Max, now, and if you Google, okay, if you Google mustard tree, there will be a picture of a beautiful tree, okay, um, that isn't a mustard tree, okay? Google mustard plant, and you will be, get closer, all right? Unfortunately, in our, in our attempt as Christians to, to show our faith, when we hear mustard tree, we just paint the most beautiful tree that we think of, but the thing is, a mustard tree is a shrub. It's, it's a, a bush. Um, it's a weed that nobody actually really wanted. Okay? But what's beautiful about this is that this parable of this prolific, undesirable seed that nobody would expect to become a tree... In the end, Jesus says, "Becomes a tree, where birds of the nest make <laughs> birds' nest and make their home." See, the Israelites, upon hearing this, this, this reference to a tree, they would have been familiar with the imagery that's in Ezekiel, where the returning of the, the Messiah and the building of the kingdom was the, like compared to the cedars of Lebanon. and for us The closest thing we could probably imagine would be our redwoods on the west coast. Massive, beautiful trees. That's the picture that the Israelites are expecting from the Old Testament. And Jesus comes up and he says, yeah, yeah, we'll get there, but we're going to start with a mustard weed. Jesus offers a picture of the kingdom of heaven, one that ends, of course, with a great tree, as we expect, but starts... With an undesirable shrub, weed, seed. The kingdom of heaven starts small, insignificant, and often even with the undesirable. The kingdom of heaven then is compared to leaven that a woman hid among three measures of flour. I think we just need to note it that Jesus here chooses a woman to represent God in this. And sometimes we get upset when we talk about gender. And when we get God must be a he or God must be a she. Jesus went back and forth when he was using imagery. He didn't let God be defined by our own gender norms. And you can be comfortable with whatever because Jesus was. And that actually has nothing to do with where I want to go this morning. But I think if we don't recognize it, then we, we get all off course and we get angsty about it, right? I know for me, I always d- default to God is a he because that's the way I was raised. That's my normative. And my wife gets frustrated with me because she's had a bit of a different journey, right? And she is helping me in this uh, to be... More understanding. So, in this, you can take some some peace in knowing that Jesus was open uh, to not defining God in our own gender norms. Okay. All right. So, in that, take that little nugget, put it over here. You can talk to me about it how angry you are later. Um, so, Jesus talks about uh, talks about this this kingdom of heaven being like leaven. And as as Christians, we often talk about um, bringing Jesus where we go, right? And I think there's an element of truth to this. Like we bring the Jesus, we are the Jesus wherever we end up being. Um, There's also, if this is our our take and our, our leaning, there's a disturbing amount of arrogance in this as well. I think it's this kind of thinking that probably led us to being okay with something like the doctrine of discovery and the colonial practices that the church participated in and actually still participates in, unfortunately. A couple of weeks ago, Kevin mentioned this idea of provenient grace or what's also called preceding grace. It's the idea that the presence of God is found throughout the world even before we get there. And I love this approach, I love this idea that instead of us bringing Jesus, which we do because yes, Jesus is inside of us, but we are also seeking Jesus. This approach leads us to humbly look for where the kingdom has been mixed into the world before we ever got there. Instead of us trying to railroad our own approach, our own understanding, our own experience of the kingdom of heaven we look for where God is already at work in different places and in different ways. The kingdom of heaven is hidden throughout the whole world. Then we come to the parable of the treasure in the field. and I think more notably the joy at giving up everything just to be near it. In this parable, if the man is representative of the church and the field is representative of the world in which the kingdom has been hidden, the man looking to buy the field doesn't condemn the field or badmouth it in any way. He doesn't want anybody to suspect that there's hidden treasures there. Instead, he buys it and it's entirely regardless of the innate value of the field. I think the church, like the purchaser of a field, cannot leave any part of the field unbought we aren't to be the procurer of only fine fields where there is treasure and also land value. We're supposed to purchase fields where treasure of the kingdom is hidden and not discriminate on the value of the field. Instead, only on the invaluability of the kingdom that is hidden there. In this, if the field represents the world and specifically the different people, groups, and cultures then as a church, I think we've often missed the chance to buy the field and to be part and have our part with the hidden treasure that God has placed there. But I think we also have to be careful not to follow a metaphor too far. Because if we start talking about buying people, then we're right back into a disturbing practice, right? But it's indicative, of, I think, of our consuming culture that we get caught up in the purchasing of the field. Even when I was thinking about this, I'm thinking, oh, well, we have to purchase the field, we have to purchase the field, and I confess I landed there for a minute because I thought that was the point. But I think on further reflection, the kingdom was so much fat also found in the joy at the selling of everything to be closer to the field. The kingdom of heaven again is hidden throughout the world, and we as a church are to give up everything with joy just so we can be near it. Then we go to the parable of the fine pearl. And Jesus shows us a merchant in search of fine pearls, And unlike the man who was looking for the treasure seemingly by accident and coming across as a seemingly by accident, this merchant is seeking out, he's on a purposeful hunt, right? And we can assume that he's probably got a small collection of pearls already. You don't become, you don't have no pearls and call yourself a hunter of pearls, right? doesn't make a lot of sense so but this man when he upon finding the perfect pearl he abandons his collection of fine pearls and sells them in order to buy this most perfect of pearls in the parable of the treasure jesus kind of in the field jesus is it's ambiguous language it's just a treasure in a field right and if you get into it actually the whole idea was to buy the field or buy the farm and bought the farm. It's kind of this future thing, even after death kind of thing. But the man who's seeking out the treasure, he's seeking out something that's really concrete and in this world. And we don't probably think that much of pearls, but at the time that Jesus is speaking, pearls are actually one of the most valuable things. Uh... They're light, they're small, easy to transport, and extremely sought after. The value of the kingdom isn't just after, but it's actually in the here and now. The kingdom is worth seeking out. Of course, we can just happen across it, and I think we do all the time, like the man in the field, but I think the man seeking out the pearl, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And its value is found in the here and now on earth. The final parable turns from farming and trading to fishing. Something the disciples would have known a bit more about. This was kind of their, their shtick for some of them. The parable of the net refers to a specific a specific type of net called a dragnet. And a dragnet was pulled through the water and it would catch fish indiscriminatory. Right? Actually, I think there's movements to ban the use of them in the ocean because they just catch whatever and then people sort and they don't want the dolphin. Or do you remember when tuna used to say tuna cans used to say no dolphin? like right on them, because dragnets. But Jesus compares, which is kind of dark, because but Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a dragnet. Something that is dragged through the water and catches fish without concern for what type it is. And I think, too, the kingdom picks up fish or picks up people without discrimination. It doesn't worry about who's in and who's out before they're in the net. It's not for some people, and it isn't just for those fish that are deemed worthy. Instead, the kingdom for the, in the here and now is for all people. The sorting and the judgment that happens in this parable doesn't happen until they get to the shore. And personally, I can't think of a better place For the end of the world, than a beach. Not because I like the beach. I I realized this. Jamie and I, a couple weeks ago, we got to take some holiday, and I was sitting on the beach, and I just was sitting in the sand, and I was like, I hate sand. All right? And then I was lingering on that, because I didn't know. I was feeling all uptight. Did you know you're trying to have a vacation, trying to have some time off and enjoy it? And I'm just like, why am I so stressed? I was like, I'm stressed because there's sand. I hate sand. Okay? And then when I came to this parable, I'm just like, yes, judgment is going to be on a beach. What a terrible place to have it. There's going to be sand everywhere. It's going to be uncomfortable for everybody. Okay? What a beautiful thing. But I love how it's not up to the fish to do the sorting in this. Right? That would be absurd. Could you imagine the fish caught in the dragnet? Hey, you, out, out. You're not allowed to be in here. No, that that that's ridiculous. The kingdom of heaven picks up people without discri- discrimination, and the sorting is left to the end and is done. Well, in this parable, it's done by the angels, but it's done by God. A few while ago, we went through all the we walked through all the minor prophets as a in our teaching, and they were heavy. And sometimes unpleasant to walk through, but the one thing I think, theme we kept picking up on was, in the end, God is the judge, and thank goodness, I, I would be terrible, and I think some of you would be worse, right? Yeah, there is, we can, we can say that there is judgment, but it's done at the end, and it's done by God. And then at the end of all these parables, Jesus says to his disciples, have you stood all, understood all of these things to which the re- disciples respond? Yes. And Jesus says to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out the treasure of, what is, of his treasure, what is new and what is old. A scribe is someone who is trained in the law, the reading and, the, and writing of the Torah and of the other scriptures, of the Israelites, our Old Testament, and I think Jesus is saying, in other words, understanding these parables and understanding them in the light of Scripture is actually worthwhile. Looking at uh, and studying Scripture can be helpful, and you'll get more out of this. I think Jesus is alluding to this. This what what will be the New Testament and saying there's, there's benefit in coming back to these parables over and over again. There's benefit to coming back to the scripture of the Old Testament and understanding and diving in deeper and studying scripture. Sometimes people wonder why did we even bother? It's kind of an old archaic book that is a bit uh, terrifying at times. It would be easier not to study it. But Jesus in his complex parables says there's there's good reason to study it. The scribes are doing a worthwhile thing. And I don't say that to to elevate anything that I've done here this morning, but to say, like, in your own life, maybe it's a worthwhile endeavor for you. Any... uh, So we're going to try and do questions. So... I don't know if there will be questions on, on, if anything comes through online, just let me know, whoever's doing that. And then um, if you have questions here, if they can be shorter uh, and to the point so I can repeat them, because we don't want to pass a microphone because it's a little COVID stick going all the way around, right? So any questions this morning? Or comments, as long as they're short. Neil, yeah. Uh, uh, The aspect of work work that is involved in each one, can I comment on it? Oh, Can you start with an easier question? (laughs) Warm up a bit. Yeah, I guess so. so the, oh, you're digging deep. Okay. So, works is always a terrifying thing when we talk about it in in the Christian faith, okay? Because it has actually caused a lot of division among us. Uh, some of our oldest uh, rivalries within the Christian faith have been because of works versus grace. Um, and... I think the biggest thing we can, we can say, there's nothing we can do to deserve or, or uh, earn the kingdom of heaven in the here and now or after, right? We, Jesus, is, uh, Jesus has offered it to us as a gift, but it doesn't go without us, our involvement. And I think the kingdom of heaven finding it particularly in the here and now does take a bit of work. Um, There's engagement on our own part. I think people benefit from the kingdom of heaven unknowingly, but for those of us who are trying to seek out Jesus, uh, it's a bit different. I don't know if I did you any justice with your question. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, any other questions, thoughts? No? Crickets. Oh, sorry, Margaret. I didn't see your hand. Yeah. Totally.: Yeah, I, w- I don't wonder if, if he was looking through the crowd and he was like, uh, he, he sees a farmer, and he's just like, do "You know that that mustard seed that's growing on your, on your land, that's actually like the kingdom of heaven." And then he sees a baker, and he's just like, "Yeah, do you know that the leaven that you mixed this morning?" Fun fact, so the leaven that was mixed, they would have ended up with 110 pounds of dough when you look at the measurements. It's a lot of stinking bread. So most of us, when we picture that, we're just like, oh, yeah, it's this little it's a lady in her, in her house. It's like, no, 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 this was an operation, right? It was a baker. But yeah, totally. He is, and I, have you ever been around those people who are able to notice uh, God working little things? i think that's what jesus is doing here in the moment where he's actually finding very relatable things to people and drawing out uh their pieces so yeah anything else this morning yeah 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 Yes. Yeah, so Kevin just said, in the midst of all this, that God has done all the work, and we get to stumble upon it or seek it out intentionally. I think that's the fun bit. Um, if there's nothing else that we know, we know that God has done all of the work. Uh, in the midst of. In the midst of all this. Uh, our part is just to respond. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, our part is to respond. I think we get, there's more to be had when we respond. So like the treasure in the field didn't go away. The kingdom wasn't absent just because uh, the, the man didn't buy the field, right? Which is a fun fun thing to think about. the The bread still, the leaven, the the bread still rose, uh, in the midst of no action by the baker, after it was mixed, right? The mustard seed held all of the potential uh, of the kingdom, without anything on our part. But there's something. Interesting, and I don't know why, because other than the fact that I think he loves us, um, there it is, he, uh, that God loves us, um, that God chooses for us to participate with him. Right? Uh, Even though it seems like it would just be a lot easier if he just did it. But God chooses for us to be part of it. And not in a belittling, manipulative kind of way, but in a, I want to love you, and I want you to love me as much as I love you. So come on along on this journey. It's it's kind of the mystery. And that's one of the things that I think throughout all of these, there's a mystery. There's this unknown piece, this piece that where it's like, we don't understand why there's this, this reaction in, in all of them. There's this, the, I love why Jesus doesn't use the word, the, the, the woman didn't mix the leaven. She hid it. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's so much more exciting. <laughs> right? Can you imagine the baker? She's just there and she's like hiding the leaven. It's like they're never going to find it. <laughs> Right? It's like everybody's going to know it's there. So, but there's still this element of mystery to it and this, this, this suspense in it. I'll, uh, I'll leave you guys with a, uh, a blessing I came across this week. Because I think, and I actually think, I wasn't sure how it was going to fit, but I think after some of those questions and the I don't knows... I think it, it gets there. So may God bless you with restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may seek boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and the exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless... You with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all they cherish, cherish, so that you may reach out with your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world, so that you are able, with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. Go in the peace of Jesus. Amen.